<rire> Bonjour. Bonjour, bienvenue. Euh, le texte est tout. Bienvenue. Une podcast oh, de film. Hola. Miles. Okay, the song will go at some point in that, probably. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the new year. Yes, happy 2023 is the first episode mm. of the year. Welcome back. Hope you guys had great holidays. Um, you, maybe you spent it with your family. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you hate your family. Don't I love my family. I, audience, I hate your family for you. Oh my God. Any, any deep-seated emotions you're having where you're like, I don't like my family, but I still have to be there for, you know, the new years and Christmas, or I guess next year's Christmas and all that jazz. I'll hate them for you. Send me a message. I'll write a very angry letter to your racist uncle. But I know we'll meet again some sunny day. What? (laughs) I got my sultry radio voice. Can you use that sultry radio voice to tell me about a movie you watched recently? Oh, boy. What have you seen? I have seen a lot of movies. Yeah. I have seen a lot of movies ranging from A Castle for Christmas bad i watched a movie das boot it is three and a half hours long that was on a plane i had an awful plane ride but uh i remember you telling me about your we, awful we don't plane ride. yeah i had a i had a kind of ear infection on a plane head splitting pain motion sick for like three days wasn't great but i watched that on the plane um i watched triple r which miles mm-hmm. talked about previously talk about so triple r now it's my turn to watch You can it. scavenger hunt, find that. But a movie I watched that I'm going to talk about because I found it a little more interesting than those ones. Mariah, it's a movie you've seen. Mm-hmm. It's a movie called You Were Never Really Here. Yes. With Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is a, a man who tracks down like missing girls. He's got, some, he's got some past traumas and things that he's dealing with. And that's, that's sort of the premise. Uh, what he doesn't I l- use his wings once. Because he's a walking phoenix. Because the phoenix is a type of mythical bird. Mariah, I will allow you to input whatever sound you want after that <laughs> joke. It can be applause or boo. Booze. <laughs> you decide booze. in editing. But it was, it, it was a good movie. Uh, what I liked about it the most was the editing. He's, he's frequently shown sort of disappearing. Like kind of Batman-esque where like it might, it might be a shot where you see him in a place. And then, it, when, then when it cuts back to that shot, he's just kind of gone. Like he um, was never like really he was never really there. there. And that that was kind of the core philosophy of the film. You know, I, I won't spoil it or anything, but he's he's very sad and lonely man dealing with a lot of trauma from his life. Just and, like me uh, for real, for real on God. He feels <laughs> just like it, it is. I would classify it as a he's like me for real movie, actually. Yo, I, I would say it's one of those movies. He even's got, he's, he even has a hammer like in drive. Um, oh, but uh Hammer time. Hammer. hammer time. There's there's one shot I like where he's he's like raiding this like facility to save a girl. And it's shot exclusively from like the CCTV cameras, like okay. throughout the like compound. And there's one shot where you see like a guard standing there and it's holding on it. And then the second he enters the frame, it cuts away to a different shot. And then Ooh. it cuts to another angle of the hallway and you just see like the guard on the floor. 
And it's like, so it's a, it's a lot of this him where he's just, he's very just sort of wispy, ethereal mm-hmm. kind of man. But what I really like about it is that's, you know, how he feels sort of in the world, in society. He's very lonely. He feels like no one sees him and no one does. What's it called? It's called You Were Never Really Here. You Were Never Really Here. Okay. This is a good it's movie. very good. It's, it's very good it. editing. Mm-hmm. I think as as a fellow editor, you would you would appreciate it for that. I do the music's enjoy good. editing. There's a, there's a couple of moments. There's a couple of moments. I don't want to hype it up by saying jaw dropping, but there's a couple of moments where I'm like, oh, and then and then your mouth's open a little for a while, and you're like, damn. So if you like that kind of stuff, go ahead and give it a watch. Nice. Very violent though. So if you don't yeah, like that, I like I like violence. Miles. What, what what movie have you seen? I also watched a couple, but the one that I'm going to talk about is "Don't Worry, Darling." Mm, okay. A oh, I'm worrying. I'm very darling. Worried. I'm worried. This movie is so not great. Mm. Um, I honestly the the drama around its creation is more entertaining than the movie <laughs> itself. It has so many. I don't know what you're talking about. Weird plot holes, like there's earthquakes that happen throughout the movie, never explained okay. once. The like, okay, though. So if spoilers, if you haven't seen this, okay. Movie, so if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead a minute. Or yeah, something. or you're like mm. stop the podcast and watch. Or the if you like us. <laughs> And you don't really care because you're uninterested in this movie. Yeah. Then keep listening. But anyway, spoiler but, warning. So essentially this, it's she's in a virtual world and she got put in there by her incel boyfriend. Harry uh, Styles. Harry Styles. Because he wants to live in the 1920s and be a cool guy. Uh, but he is actually an incel going on 4chan. Here's my, <laughs> here's my thing. The guy who invented this virtual world. Everyone's like, oh my God, he's so amazing. He's so amazing. Is that Chris Pine? Or- uh, Miles doesn't know actors. Yeah, he can't I don't say know that. who the hell Sorry. Chris Pine he's is. He's in Star Trek. Yes, the new then, ones. Then, then yes, okay. yeah. it's Chris Pine. Um, and you got to know how to talk to him. Yeah, you, <laughs> you don't tell me the names. You tell me the other things they've been in. Sorry, sorry. But uh, Chris Pine has created a one-to-one virtual world <laughs> and he's using it to help incels get laid instead of becoming a millionaire yeah that is rather funny huh. if you're like if you're like me and you're a dirty little weeb who likes anime <laughs> you'll know sword out online and it's it has kind of the same premise of sword online but it's just like you know a girl trapped and she doesn't want to be there but and it's like her learning that she's in the virtual world it does the same thing that Sword Online does, where it's like, if you die in the game, you die in real life. Who the fuck programs that into their virtual world? Why would you make it so that you can get iced in the in VR? You coded that. You coded in, if my hit points go to zero, I die. And, 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 at the very end, at the very end, she gets out of the, out of the virtual world. She's tied down in a bed in the real world. So she'll she'll get into the real world and then be trapped and not be able to move. And one of the other characters makes a point to say they're going after you in the real world. So effectively, it it we climax at the end of the movie is get her getting out of the virtual world and then it ends. But if you're if you're paying attention, you know she she's gonna die. One might say this is like the Matrix, but not good. It's incel Matrix. Yeah. It's bad. 
Um, okay. anyway, I'm sorry, Mariah. What did you watch? Okay, so um, I, you guys watch like serious movies. I watched a movie called City Slickers. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a comedy with Billy Crystal and Bruno Kirby. Um, Billy Crystal is Mike Wazowski from Monsters Inc. Okay, yes. Have, have you seen When Harry Met Sally? He so. more he does know Princess Bride though, and he knows you know he, Princess Bride. Yeah, you know Miracle Max. Yes. Yes, he's Miracle Max. Okay. Um. Anyway, so City Slickers is basically about this guy who's kind of having a midlife crisis, stuck in a rut. So his friends decide to take him for like a week out into Colorado, where they get to be cowboys for a week and help get to um, herd cattle from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like living out a cowboy dream, essentially. And so he kind of does it to try to shake things up and kind of get out of his rut. And as someone who, you know wants to be a cowboy it was very fun i really enjoyed it it was goofy um there was a little cow named norman that i love but it was just a fun comedy and i really enjoyed it i liked the cowboy stuff in it yeah the idea of like city folk trying to be cowboy i'm like yeah that would be me if i was in that situation um but anyway uh those movies have nothing to do with the movie that we're talking about today today we are talking about the 2020 film nomadland Mm -hmm. written directed and edited by Chloe Zhao. Um, I'm embarrassed that we have made it. This is episode number 17. Um, and this is the first time we're covering a film that was directed by a woman. You don't have to make me feel bad about but it. But here we are. Um, but before we get into it, can you guys give me a summary? I, I can give you a summary. Yeah. So it starts off. Our main character, Fern, uh, is getting some stuff out of a storage unit. Oh, this is very descriptive. <laughs> and then she suffers, and then the movie ends. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. It's hard to summarize this film because it is rather um, wandering. It's wandering, but yeah. So, Just so like she loses. Them. She loses her home and lives in a van and starts entering into the the nomad life of the West, where people who live in vans or RVs or cars and they they travel around and they get jobs. Primarily, we see a lot of Amazon, but also just. Hoover will pick him up. And yeah. so she bonds with other people on the road. And at the same time, she's sort of confronting the past trauma of losing her husband. And um, and she kind of almost has a new love in Dave, yes. that gentleman who kind of teams up with her for a little bit. And he offers her a place mm-hmm. at his house with his family. But then I think she feels like she's intruding. It's not really meant for her. So she goes back on the road and kind of. Yep. I think that's a mm-hmm. fairly decent summary. Obviously, there's, there's I more details with specific people that she meets. And yes, and I'll and I'll get into that but for the yeah. for the overarching story. That's that's kind of is her journey. Yes, I agree. Um, so before going in depth on the movie, um, let's talk about the book. I don't want to say that this movie is based on it. There's a book. Yes, there is a book. Chloe Zhao and Francis McDormand consider this more of a companion piece than an adaptation, and I totally agree. So the book is called Nomadland: Surviving America. In the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder came out in 2017. It's fairly different from the movie, but it is also similar in a lot of ways. This is because the movie, as I'll you know get into later, takes on a very documentary-style approach, so it kind of follows its own thing. It, it did, to me, feel very documentary. Oh, yes. boy. Um, oh, boy. And I will get into just how documentary it is. You don't even know. I, I originally thought, because I've seen like trailers for Nomadland, mm. I originally thought it was a documentary. Arguable. Yep. Arguable. Um, so instead of following Fern, the majority of the book focuses on Linda May, who um, is a 64-year-old lady 
who the author um, Jessica Bruder follows from National Forest camp host jobs to Amazon warehouses to the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous for a few years, which you see all of these locations in the movie, obviously. But throughout that, it does kind of wander and introduces a lot of other nomads. And so sometimes she will kind of like leave Linda May and introduce new characters like Swanky, who is that lady who has cancer. Um, Rip Swanky. And the jobs that they have and kind of slightly different variations on the lifestyles that they live, whether that's Oh, they have a different camping setup or they kind of have a different outlook on their lifestyle, that kind of things. Um, one of the things it opens up with is Linda May's plan for her Earthship, which they talk about for about 30 seconds in the movie. Yes. Um, which is the house that basically is all recycled. It uses the Earth to run. All right. It's entirely self-sufficient. And then the book closes after a few years with her getting the land to start developing the Earthship. That's how it ends. I don't want to like be mean or anything, but like, I mean, how good can an Earthship house be? You know, what kind of insulation can bottle caps give you, <sighs> nerd? Okay, um, okay. I disagree. I will say a lot of it does focus on the Amazon warehouse experience, like a lot of the chapters do, where nomads called work campers uh work for seasons typically through the christmas season when there's obviously a very big increase of people buying things Mm -hmm. um that shit is rough they don't touch on it nearly as much in the movie as they do in the book but it's super exhausting you have these people who are retirement age working 12-hour shifts on their feet the whole time um over the course of their 12-hour shifts people can walk up to 820 miles in 12 and a half weeks and they gotta piss in bottles yes um, and some need to quit just because it's too hard because if they're pulling the little scanner triggers, then they get tendinitis. Or like um, sometimes there was a story about a lady who fell down the stairs and she like cracked her head open and the on-site medics had to help her. And then she was at work the next day because she really needed the money. It's it's kind of fucked up. Highly, highly. And yeah. we'll talk about it near the end. But this, especially any part where she's like working these kind of really shitty jobs, it makes my blood boil. I I hate Amazon so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's a very hot take. Yeah, it sucks. Now, most of the people that Jessica Bruder interviews, they lost jobs and their houses during the 2008 financial crisis, um, which is a theme that is revisited and talked about several times throughout the book. Um, and you see that in the movie. The, uh, the movie is set in 2011 with the close of the Gypsum Mine, which is a real thing that happened um, in that real town called... Empire. Thank you. So everything about that is completely accurate. That is something that genuinely happened. Uh, some of the people in the book that she interviewed are in the movie, like Linda May, who I just previously mentioned. Bob Wells, who runs the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, the guy with the big bushy white beard who looked like Santa Claus. Mm, um, talks he, to her at the end. Yeah. Yes. And he's he's featured a, a few times throughout it. He talks about what, losing his son and stuff like that. Is Are these the real people? Yes. Oh! Yep. Yeah, oh, there we buddy, go. Buddy, we're just at the start of it. We're getting of it. into it. We're yeah. getting into it. Yes. What? This so, is so good. Yes. This movie is, I, I, oh my God, I love it. So Bob Wells is from Anchorage, Alaska. Alaska represent. Um, and his blog called Cheap RV Living helped a lot of people who were affected by the 2008 financial crisis. And he kind of is seen as a leader in the nomad community. He also organizes the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, which again, they show, which is kind of, he kind of considers it like a crash course for people who are kind of entering the nomadic lifestyle. 
And while he kind of emerged as a leader, he kind of came about the lifestyle harshly, which is not uncommon for people like that. He got divorced um, and he lost his house. Instead of commuting back from like a campsite to work in Anchorage, what he ended up doing is kind of fitting out a van and sleeping in the parking lot of a Safeway. Um, And he talked about how, you know, he cried himself to sleep the first night he did it because he felt so low. But then he was able to find kind of the beauty in it and realize the freedom of like detaching from a house and not owing the Mm. government a whole lot of money and that kind of stuff. And from there, he kind of really grew to appreciate it. And one thing that I really appreciated about Jessica Bruder and her work is that she spent years covering this. She spent at least like three years. And not only did she cover it, but she bought and lived in a van as well. Oh, shit. Like periodically for two years. She'd kind of do like months and then kind of go back to New York and write. She worked jobs at Beat Farms. She worked the Amazon warehouse shifts. Um, she, sn- she snuck like a camera in to take pictures of some of the things. And she did that to get kind of a more complete experience and just kind of kept in constant contact with the people for the book. So yeah, obviously I read the book before rewatching the movie. And I do want to read just a couple of excerpts from the books that I think were some of my, just a couple that were my favorite that I think kind of highlight some of the most important kind of ideas. Um, so this first one says, and this is just depressing, <laughs> which this movie is too. Yeah, the movie's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, Nearly 9 million Americans, 65 and older, were still employed in 2016, up 60% from the decade earlier. Economists expect those numbers, along with the percentage of seniors in the labor force, to keep rising. A recent poll suggests that Americans now fear outliving their assets more than they fear dying. Another survey finds that, although most older Americans still view retirement as, quote, a time of leisure, only 17% anticipate not working at all in their later years. So, boys, that's what we have to look forward to. <laughs> I can't wait to be grinded down by capitalism. Unless. Love it. This, also, warning, you're going to hear a lot of anti-capitalist stuff from me today. That's so very okay. It's right gonna, in. If you're like, oh, I love the free market, you're not going to like, you're not going to like <laughs> but, me today. But how else are you going to get chicken nuggets? How? How am I going to get else? them tendies? Are you going to get them tendies? I need them tendies with the with and, the sauce. And that, <laughs> that, that Domino's pizza. Um, And then my, the, the second quote I'll read for you is just a reflection from Jessica Bruder. And she said, I long, I'd long assumed that most RVers were retirees tootling idly around America, sightseeing and enjoying the relaxation they'd earned after decades of employment. RV, after all, stands for recreational vehicle. Those happy-go-lucky pensioners still exist, but they've been joined by the new nomads. And I think that's a great point because I think it kind of goes to show that if we see an RV, we're probably like, oh, they're on vacation. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Another thing they talk about is stealth camping and how to you know camp in those kind of vehicles in the cities mm-hmm. and just thinking about especially you know here in la where we have a very large homeless population and insane rent and that kind of stuff how many times we have passed a vehicle that is being used as a house and have not even known it yeah, yeah. so yeah i really enjoyed reading it and if you did enjoy the movie i highly recommend reading the book it obviously goes a lot more in depth on the people um that are featured in the movie and the lifestyle i find it really Fascinating. I'll admit, I did find it a little repetitive at times. They do focus a lot on Amazon, but it was a really great read about kind of this generation and community of people that are generally shunned slash forgotten slash kind of hiding in plain view. Mm-hmm. There was also a short documentary produced by Jessica Bruder called Camper Force, which is that like program that Amazon does. Okay. Um, that was released in 2017 um, after the book was released. So um, that's all I have to say about the book. So now let's get into the pre-production of the movie. Real quick. Yeah. Did yeah. you have a copy of yes, the book? Yes, I have here the book us? out here. 
It says soon to be a major motion picture. Yes, I obviously have an older copy. When did this movie come out? 2020. Okay. Oh, that's actually a lot more recent than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Look at us. It's an old book, Miles. Stunning and beautifully written. Brilliant and haunting. New York Times. Yes. Um, okay, so the book came out in 2017, made waves, got lots of attention. Enter Frances McDormand. Yes. The lead actress who plays Fern. Got it. Yeah, I did. Miles, do you know out. who she is? She played Fern. Yes. And? Do you know what else she has done? You have a movie on the bookshelf behind us. Fargo? Fargo. Mm-hmm. She's in Fargo? She's yeah. the main She's character. The- oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Like her in Fargo. She's fantastic. Enter Frances McDormand. She had always loved traveling and the idea of a nomadic lifestyle. So when Jessica Bruder's book came out, she and producer Peter Spears immediately optioned the rights. In a Variety article, Frances McDormand had said that she told her husband when she was about 45 that she had plans to change her name to Fern when she turned 65 and, quote, start smoking Lucky Strikes, drink drinking wild turkey, and I'd hit the road in my RV. Nice. So obviously this was kind of perfect for her. Um, now, Frances yeah. McDormand had been aware of Chloe Zhao, a relatively new filmmaker who had just released her 2017 movie called The Rider. Um, McDormand had seen it at the Toronto Film Festival, really liked it. She has a quote somewhere saying that the movie finished and she just went, who the fuck is Chloe Zhao? Like, I need to meet her. <laughs> oh, um, Chloe Zhao popping mm-hmm. off. Yeah. And before The Rider, Zhao had also written and directed the 2015 Songs My Brothers Taught Me, which had premiered at Sundance and also screened at Cannes where it was nominated mm-hmm. for Best First Feature Film. Mm-hmm. Um, she comes from NYU. She's great. The two of them met in March of 2018 at the Independent Spirit Awards, where McDormand won Best Actress for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And Zhao had won a $50,000 grant for women filmmakers. The two hit it off immediately, and McDormand just recruited Zhao to direct. This is because in Zhao's previous two films that I just mentioned, Zhao used non-actors, and um, they were able to give extremely natural and powerful performances which mcdormand thought would be just perfect for the film it's funny the term non-actor seems funny to me it's like oh so yeah. you mean a person yeah. just a guy or a lady no a non-actor okay <laughs> um and due to the non-fiction nature of the book obviously and the natural approach that they wanted the script process was very unique in a hollywood reporter article also i'm going to be linking my resources in the show notes if you guys want to check that out Anyway, in the Hollywood Reporter article, McDormand said, quote, I don't really ever feel like I had an artifact that was a script. We had scenes that were written, but it was much more of a blueprint, I think, for Chloe than it was a script per se. Not a script like a traditional script. Working with non-actors, she said, um, quote, I was always trying to be like, oh, maybe I can help. Maybe I can say something and help them talk. And what Chloe really needed me to do was just be quiet and be there and be a part of the architecture of the scene. So with that kind of blueprint and just general idea, they were off to the races. So now we're into production. Zhao and McDormand began filming scenes just months after McDormand had won Best Actress for Three Billboards. Congratulations. Yes. Very much deserved. Love that movie. Great we'll be movie. covering it. A lot of people don't like it, but yes, but I haven't seen it. It is very good. Hmm. So they were trying to figure out how to film in such confined spaces like the van because it's small mm-hmm. and they were shooting some test footage at Zhao's house in Ojai, California. However, McDormand had eaten spicy chicken wings and unfortunately had to quickly experience what the five gallon bucket as a toilet was like. So that scene where she be pooping, she really be pooping. I saw someone poop on camera. Mm-hmm. 
I saw Academy Award winner Francis McDormand poop on camera. Mm-hmm. Wait. And open a window because it was smelly? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. I don't know if I could you... live knowing I pooped on camera and so... won, won an award for it. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So that was, wait, was that supposed to be test footage? Yes. And my the... understanding is that the sh- that what they shot is actually in the movie. Yeah. The so I mean, okay. obviously they probably like you know kind of changed the audio. I I hope. Yeah. Um, and she probably you know acted a little bit, but she really did have to to they take to, a fat doobie. Right? She browned on camera. She browned on camera. You know, I thought it was weird because I was I watched that and I went, you know, you don't often see people use the toilet in movies. Usually they skip that part. From my understanding, they did you they use that experience. I want to say I'm 90% certain that that's the case. They did actually use that shot. If they didn't use that shot, they used shots from that day. Right. But I'm pretty sure it's that shot. Um, Francis, and yeah. come on the podcast. Tell us otherwise if we're wrong. Yes. Um, and she recounted, quote, I literally experienced the worst, maybe not the worst thing, but a not very pleasant thing that could happen. I took a dump in the five-gallon bucket. But it was also really great because we filmed some stuff. Look at that. Yeah. If you you ain't never been to Michigan if you never pooped in a bucket before. You can brown wherever you want <laughs> if you film it. Um, I also want to say that Zhao, at the time that they were working on Nomadland, was working on Eternals from I Marvel. I saw that. Which is insane because of how different they are. And yes. of the three of us, Miles, I think you're the only one who has seen Eternals. So um, just I will I will thoughts. say, before before we get into that, I know the Marvel machine... Is not is not very it's not a good one for letting directors express themselves it's, through the film. She actually was quoted as saying that she felt she had pretty good directorial. Okay, room. well I'm wrong. Miles, go ahead. She had. Let I loose. was about to say like you know the, the yeah Disney and Marvel they're not great with letting you do whatever. I you tried. Want. That was my one saving grace for her. <laughs> and you took it away. So you took Sorry. that away. Eternals is bad. It's not very well written in my opinion. It's so forgettable. Yeah. So I, I, I can barely even remember how good it would have been. Um, I don't, it's just not very good. Anyway, so she was working on both of these at the same time. It seemed like Marvel was actually pretty chill with her kind of taking the time to work on this though. So they weren't too terribly demanding. Interesting. Um, but that's all I just kind of wanted to say about that. Because um, I wanted to obviously focus just on this one. We all have flops. You know? That's fine. It's fine. Yeah. We got to get over the mentality that like you, you can't. You can't mess up. It's okay. You yeah. can mess up. Yeah. It's okay to misstep. All right. You learn from it. So yes. with okay. a budget of $5 million and a small crew of about 25 to 35 people, mm-hmm. sources kind of vary on that number, production began in the fall of 2018. When assembling her crew, Zhao picked her longtime collaborator and her boyfriend for her director <laughs> of photography, Joshua James Richard, who Nepotism. was- <laughs> um, They went to NYU together and he had shot her other two movies as well. He's credited as the film uh, production designer as well as DP. And in an interview, he said that he worked the aesthetic around the limitations and locations of where they were filming. But he also said that the Amazon warehouse was the easiest. And that quote, I can say that the Amazon warehouse totally fell right into our color palette. Oh, I was delighted. Great lighting. Nothing really needed for me there. Seriously. Hmm. And I mean, I mean, the the symmetry and like the lines like it. Yeah, yeah. it's a great place. Um, so while they were filming... The crew lived in vans and traveled to, to like five to seven states. Again, sources vary on that number. But that included California, Arizona, South Dakota, Nevada, and Nebraska. Frances McDormand actually lived in the van she's in in the movie, Vanguard. Although she didn't do it the whole shoot. She realized 
that after taking campground reservations, cleaning toilets, working beet harvest, Amazon warehouse, because she was doing a lot of this stuff for real. Oh, yeah. She didn't need to do everything. And that maybe she could just act exhausted <laughs> um, instead of being actually exhausted. Eventually, she ended up staying in hotels, although some of the crew, I believe, stayed in vans the whole time. I don't fault her at all for that. Um, no. Jow? I, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I would have. I think it would have been really fun. I think I, I don't know if I would have been able to do it the I think time, you but. come to a point where you need to realize whether or not it's jeopardizing your work. Yes. Yeah. And I, it sounds like that's kind of where it came to. Yeah. And while McDonald was doing the damn work, she essentially, I guess, had like a babysitter to make sure she wasn't too tired. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a that's kind yeah. of a sign that maybe you should chill. So yeah, her van was named Vanguard. Jow and um, her DP stayed in the van and she's a fan of uh, manga. Uh, she it's named hers Akira. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, in yeah. in the book, they mention fun van names. Or something. Hmm. Something. It was a, a reference you, what, you wouldn't she, have gotten. Was her van a motorcycle? No. It's an Akira joke. Yeah. Okay. She probably had a cool jacket with a pill on it, though. Yeah. Another Akira joke. All right. Um, in the book, they also mention fun van names too throughout, like the whole thing. So Linda May. Her uh, van was called the Squeeze In because you had to squeeze into it. Okay. Whoa. Um, the author, Jessica Bruder, named hers Halen. Van Halen. Oh. We have one more? Um, yeah, this one's not like a pun, though. <sighs> um, but another lady from the book named Sylvia Ann named hers. She, she asked um, her friends for uh, suggestions, and one of them said Queen Mary, and another one said like Maria esmeralda or something so she named hers the queen maria esmeralda so there's that like i mentioned earlier it was very documentary like approach to the making of the film it should be noted if you pay attention to the credits you'll see there are only like three actors in the movie really of the lead characters it's basically just francis mcdormand as fern and david strathairn as dave and if you thought his son really looked like him that's his son (laughs) who's also an actor and a musician i was gonna i was gonna guess the third actor the um, baby it's who plays um fern's sister oh okay. yes i believe she's a producing partner that, would, that would make sense yeah the rest are real nomads several of whom are featured in the original book and essentially play themselves Wait, what about the kid which one in the very beginning when she's she has a net over her head oh i'm she's... pretty sure those are actors i'm I'm talking about like the main, oh, the main cast. Okay, yeah main yeah cast. i'm sure like those ones were cast but yeah. i'm talking about like kind of the main the main yeah. people yeah. yeah so the nomads that are in there are actual nomads and essentially just play themselves, although they, they're they slightly fictionalized. And so, yeah, Jao wanted to use them because she said, quote, non-actors are always just going to be a version of themselves and that's what you want them to be. Wait, is, is, is Swanky actually dead? I'll get to that. No. She's fine. Oh. <laughs> She's alive. <laughs> um, so Chloe Jao kind of took this realistic approach even with Frances McDormand because um, some of the photos she looks at in her van are actual photos the china plates that she talks mm. about are actually from her father so they really pulled from her personal life wait did they smash i'm pretty sure they did not okay that would have been rather cruel yeah. <laughs> i yeah, can't imagine like, that man her emotions would have been real mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah they really pulled from her personal life to to create fern again with more of a blueprint than an actual script producers would get to the location before Zhao did and would record interviews with nomads and kind of send them to Chloe as kind of like auditions. 
And then from there, she would decide who she wanted in the scenes and kind of work them in and just essentially be like, all right, tell your story or like tell your story, but like make sure you talk about this or something like that. Linda May, again, the lady in the book who Jessica Bruder follows the most, said said in a scene in an article, um, Chloe would just say, tell me the story or we're going to have this conversation. I just got to be myself. Almost everything was done in one take. I wouldn't say I was happy to share my lowest point, but it was honest. I think sometimes our greatest defeat can turn into our biggest strength. To be able to share that with someone who may be considering this is the end of the road for me, there's nowhere else to go, that if you just take one more step, magic and miracles can happen. To put my life on screen like that, another human being can see, wow, one day she was going to kill herself, and today she's a movie star because she didn't. Yeah, so, I, like, while you're talking, I keep remembering parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. And with this new lens, I'm like, holy shit. So, yeah. yeah. Santa Man actually talked about his son, yes. da- and like when he's like, I can, I can barely talk about yep. it. That's him actually. Yes. Ba- yeah, that's insane. Yes. Yeah. And so Linda May again, um, who she does like, she was talking her. about killing herself yes. in her car. Mm-hmm. Oh my! I was gonna say like this movie's amazing because the acting is so spectacular. That's people just talking about like their worst moments. Yeah. yeah. Holy mm-hmm. cow! Yep. Derek, the young guy who she gives a sandwich to and they share a cigarette, mm-hmm. he was loved on the set. Um, not that the others weren't. He seemed incredibly chill. He started staying at the same hotel as them, and eventually they were like, "Do you want to, you want to work on the movie?" Uh-huh. And he joined. He joined the art department for the rest of the filming. Uh-huh. So yeah. that was just fun. Uh-huh. My boy got a job in film. Yeah, Dang. Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers, who is Francis McDormand's husband. If you didn't know that one, Miles. You're tossing a lot of names out here. I do know the Coen brothers, yes. but holy shit. Yeah, so he obviously they did like Fargo and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. He showed up on set one day and to see this like really small budget crew and Joshua James Richard, the DP, said, I look up and there's Joel Cohen watching me film Fran with a little LED on a C-stand and I was like, we're really pulling out the stops here, Joel. I hope you appreciate this. It's my biggest setup. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the person that like totally natural lighting, just one camera. Yeah. And essentially, it was like sound camera just kind of moving as one and following Fern as she walks around. Yeah. You know who else has that idea towards lighting? Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I liked with like the sun, they did a lot of like back or side lighting. Yeah. And, you know, especially oh, when yeah. the sun was like low. I did think sometimes the lighting was really good. They yeah. shot a lot with the magic hour. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's what I was like. It was definitely the sun was always kind of in that like very yep. low position. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they were able to film in the Amazon warehouses because Francis McDormand just wrote a letter to the Amazon's senior VP and was like, can we film? And he went, hell yeah. Because in the book and in the movie, it actually paints Amazon in a very good light. Hmm. The camper force workers want to continue to come back there. Um, It was also right before they increased their minimum wage to $15. So it was kind of like good promotion. Not that Amazon needs it, yeah, but um. Frances McDormand actually packaged stuff there, although she says, quote, some people got some packages that I packaged that were pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) And moving on from Amazon, which is obviously a huge location to cover, another big location was the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous in Quartzsite, Arizona, which, again, is a real thing that happens every year. It has grown significantly from its birth. The author, Jessica Bruder, covered it multiple years in her book. Um, So the crew was able to film the actual event itself really you know, feeling like just a documentary. It's a lot of just, okay, kind of here's an interview. We're going to set up a camera in front of you and tell your story. And we're going to incorporate that in just a conversation with Fern, essentially. Obviously needed 
a lot of coordination just because there are so many people in so many vans and making mm. sure everybody's safe and all that kind of stuff. So that was pretty crazy. The sound design is also super cool. In this making of documentary I found on YouTube, which again, I will be linking, they talk about how when you're out there, your sense of sound is almost increased because of how quiet it is. Mm. Um, so they just pulled up all the levels of the onset sound essentially for the kind of score and just like sound in general. In the book too, they talk about how when you're first starting off in the nomad lifestyle, sleeping can be really hard because you just hear everything mm. and you're so scared that like someone's outside the van and stuff like that. Do you remember that bit where there, she's at like the uh, national park, I think, and she's like running through the rocks and yeah. she's just like kind of running around, just very loud footsteps. That's like all mm. it is. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's like far away from the camera and you can still like hear it really loud. And it's just that kind of stuff. They also didn't like lock down any of the sets when they were filming because they just wanted people to come in and go out and just be very right. natural and just be a part of the ambient noise and a part of the landscape, which is interesting. It's also just like, for me personally, I really like minimal music mm. in the right place. And I think it really worked in their favor here. I would rather sit in silence and really like focus on a performance than have music tell me what I should be feeling. Anyway, so we're almost done with production now. So it's been a few months. There's this awesome quote from... Francis McDormand in a Variety article, and I wasn't really sure where to put it as I was talking about stuff, so I'm just going to kind of put it here. She said, It was a lesson in humility to be accepted by a group of people to know that whatever currency I have earned as an actor didn't make any difference if I couldn't pull my rig, if I didn't know how to take a dump in my five-gallon bucket. She added, "Um, It takes a lot of courage to commit to the life, and I'm really humbled by it. Um, Also, a lot of the actors didn't, or a lot of the nomads didn't know she was an actor. They were like, Hi, who are you? Just like me. If if she was standing in front of me at the grocery store even now even having seen it i think i'd just be like oh man i hope this doesn't come out to too much i hope my groceries don't spoil at some point um so yeah uh after they wrapped jow did the editing for it and one of jow's heroes is (gasps) terrence malick um who she was actually able to show him an early cut of the film really and He really liked it. I would imagine. And he gave her notes, um, which she was over the moon about. And some people consider Chloe Zhao like the next Terrence Malick. Yes. Essentially. And Stefan, you are a huge Terrence Malick fan, so uh, I just want to hear your thoughts on yes, that. Yes, I have a lot. Do you mind if I talk about the visual style a bit? Go for I'm it. I'm not going to be snobbing on toes. Okay. Terrence Malick is a very interesting director. And and Chloe Zhao takes a, a lot of inspiration from him. I actually have a quote. From Chloe here talking about Malik saying it's almost like a necessity for Malik to explore something he wants to understand about the world about human experience about all these bigger questions he had and it shines through his cinema what Terrence Terrence Malik is very interesting because dating back to his first movie Badlands a, a very distinct style developed through his movies into a new world where he started doing very similar to what they did with this movie where he started just throwing a script out the window and just having people act and improvise and come up with things. And he he developed this style that was a product of the sort of philosophical core of what he's trying to do with film. And what I really like in thinking about Nomadland and Wells' his films is the, the visual style and the way these movies look and the way they're edited isn't because they just said, this looks pretty, this is aesthetic, this is nice. It, it's all a result of this philosophy of... It's not about the end product result. It's about them finding something as they make the film. And that, that's a, you know, an aspect of art that I think is very much overlooked, both in film and in like, you know, painting, music, whatever, 
is it's the journey. It's about discovering something. It's about finding something. And so this this drive to sort of find the art through the production is what made them make the camera choices and the equipment choices, made them make the natural lighting because they needed to be able to be moving freely. They needed to be able to film spontaneity. They needed to be able to, to do all these things that a normal film set doesn't do. And all of that influenced how the movie looked. And I think that's phenomenal. I think that's crazy cool how the style of the movie comes from the way it was approached. I love Terrence Malick. I do think he is an incredibly faulty director. And that is some of the biggest complaints I get about him is he's, he's so deeply philosophical that he, uh, he wanders and he kind of lose sight of things. And then you're just watching a movie of trees, but that's also really good. So hey, there, there we go. There's my word vomit. Dirty Harry. He, he wrote Dirty Harry. Uh, Very strangely enough. He was a co-writer in Dirty Harry. Huh? Yeah. But um, Thin Red Line is one of my favorite movies. Phenomenal. I think it's it's one of the best. War, it's a war film. Oh, I think okay. one of the best war films out there. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I thought that was really cool. A lot. A lot of the articles. Malik, Malik, Malik. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the articles that I read, which again linked in the show notes, do reference how a lot of people consider Jao like the mm-hmm. prodigy of. And I, I was telling Raya this before. I mean, I don't know if a lot more is coming out, but I I think this. I consider this like a, a new movement in like cinema. The, this approach to, to filming something with, you know, non-actors and the authenticity of it, you know. So I hope we see more of it from other people, but I would like this to be more than just two people. So the film is done. It's made. It's out. It had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival on September 11th, 2020, with a showing at the Toronto International Film Festival the same day. It won the Golden Lion at Venice and the People's Choice Award at Toronto, making it the first film to win the top prizes at both of these festivals. Mm. It was originally slated to be released December 4th, 2020, but it got pushed back to an official February 21st, 2021 release due to COVID. Mm. It ended up grossing only $3.7 million in the US, but grossed $35.4 million in other territories for a grand total of about $39 million. Okay. So on a $5 million budget, yeah, it yeah, made a profit. Um, I was, I mean, I was really surprised to see how little it made, but again, with COVID as the backdrop, it makes yeah. sense because nobody was going to the movies. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching it just when it came out online. I didn't go to movie theaters for a long time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Chloe Zhao, being from China, had actually made <laughs> several comments criticizing the Chinese government. And so while this... <laughs> yeah, pop off. And so as this film was doing really well, it was pulled from theatrical release. And during the Oscars, media outlets made absolutely no mention of her, made absolutely no mention of Nomadland because she criticized the government. Yeah, um, that happens. That yeah. does happen, especially with that because they yeah. spend a lot of money on American movies. Yeah. That in the military. So speaking of awards, at the Oscars, this movie fucking crushed it. Yeah. It won Best Picture. Best Boom. Director and Boom. Best Actress, Boom. as well as being nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Pop. Editing, Pop. and Cinematography. Bop. Bop. Um, with this, Chloe Zhao became the first Asian woman and woman of color nominated for Best Director and the second woman to ever win Best Director. Damn, she's crushing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was also the fourth person and the first woman to be nominated for Best Director, Screenplay, Picture, and Editing in the same year. Um, I also want to shout out another female filmmaker, Emerald Fennell. For along with Chloe Zhao being the second and third woman nominated for writing, directing, and producing in the same year. Hmm. Um, Sophia Coppola 
was the first woman to do this with Lost in Translation back in 2003, another right. movie that I will also be covering at some point. And with this, Frances McDormand also became the second most decorated best actress, actress, with three wins in the leading actress um, category with Fargo and three billboards as well. So she beat Meryl Streep, who has two best actress and one best supporting actress, but she still has like a lot more nominations. And yep. Catherine Hepburn still has four best actress um, awards. Just throwing that out there. Um, Not that the Oscars matter. They're just awards. They're just, they're just little guys. It's just a game they play with us. They're just golden little guys putting their hands together like Who this. Who makes them the judge? <laughs> they're just bald little dudes. Uh, Frances McDormand is also the eighth person and first woman to receive Oscar nominations in producing and acting categories for the same film. Um, so overall, sick for women. Go women. Go women. Fuck yeah. I'm sick for women. <laughs> I'm down um, bad for women. Right. <laughs> um, and that's what I have for No Man Land. I have a couple pieces of trivia, and then I'm going to get into what you guys uh, think about it. I have lots of thoughts. So um, a couple pieces of trivia for you guys. Many of Frances McDormand's co-stars, such as Swanky, that lady who dies, um, and Bob Wells had no idea that she was a famous actress. Obviously, just because they don't really focus on that kind of thing. Bob Wells didn't know until the day they shot that emotional scene when Fern is talking about her husband, Bo. And afterwards, he went up to Frances McDormand and was like, like, like privately, like pulled her aside and was like, it meant so much that like you trusted trusted me to tell me that story <laughs> oh. everything's gonna be okay and she was just like um gaslighting my my husband's name is jill cohen he's alive you lie you lie i'm sorry you lie no you say thank you that means so much to me and you you let him be you let him stay in that um, like but yeah bob was like oh you're an actress huh um and i'm like yeah how would i I don't know how I depressed. I I would have lied. I would have lied to I, my team. I, instinctually, I would have wanted to lie, but knowing that you're a famous film actress, also and for a he's film, gonna see the movie. He's gonna see the he, movie. They, they went to the premieres. Like it, it would come out, and I'd rather it come from my mouth than from somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, but but it would be hard. I, I don't want to ruin that moment with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned before, with the beginning of Fern leaving Empire. It's a real place that was owned by U U.S. Gypsum, and in 2011, it closed the mine and subsequently the town with it because the, the whole town relied on it. Um, workers and their families were allowed five months of continued residency in their company-owned homes, and then the zip code was even like discontinued later on. Um, and it's a ghost town now. Like I mentioned before, Swanky did not have cancer. She She's alive. Oh, she's chilling. Thank God. Yeah. She did actually have surgery on her arm, though, so that's why her arm's in a sling. Oh, okay. She had sh shoulder surgery, and that was the time when Jao was, like, recruiting. And she's like, I just had surgery, I don't know. And they're like, no, we'll, we'll use it. It's totally fine. And she was like, I guess they really want me. All right. All right, chill. <laughs> yeah, vibing. The, the scene where she's talking about, like, the birds and that kind of stuff, and it even shows it later, that's, like, a direct quote from the book. So that's, like, that's okay. totally real. Pretty much everything she says is real. But obviously she did have to pretend that she had cancer. And it was a hard scene for her. Um, and she said in an article, which again, we'll be linking, it was a hard scene to play because I'm not sick and dying, but my ex-husband had brain cancer and died of it. Mm. And so I told Chloe, I don't want to say or do anything that's going to hurt my kids. They didn't know I was making a movie at that point. I didn't want them to hear me say, I've got brain cancer and I'm dying when that's what, is, that's what happened to their father. 
So it was really emotional for me to try to say those words because it was very emotional. Not for me, but for them. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's the that's the trivia I have. Um, there was one article that was really fun talking about, like, all of their reactions to seeing Ooh. the final picture where Linda May was like, oh, I had to, like, close my eyes and plug my ears. I, like, saw my face up on a big screen and I was <laughs> like, oh, the wrinkles and, like, all that shit. Oh, um, because... Obviously, they just kind of shot like interviews, and they were like, "I don't know what this movie is gonna like really look like." And mm-hmm. but they all got invited to the premieres, and there's photos that you can see of you know Francis and Chloe with all of them and stuff like that. It's very sweet. So anyway, that concludes uh, the research on Nomadland, boys. Very cool. very what are your cool. thoughts? Very cool. This is a great film. I really like this film. Mainly, I already discussed you know the whole the whole Malik thing. I think just the approach to filmmaking and what what that means you know it's it's very artful i know it's very pretentious to say you know film is an art and for a lot of people it isn't that it's just entertainment um but i think it is and i think this movie very perfectly exemplifies that and uses it as a vehicle to try and understand our world and ourselves and our country a little better um i think the way it displays our country in this element of our nation in a way that we haven't seen is very important. And as Miles noted earlier, you know, capitalism and how, how we work. In fact, I think a big part of, I mean, this could be an incorrect interpretation, but I think one of the developments for Fern is sort of overcoming programming that you need to be in a home and you need to have this very specific life of being in a home, you know, and working out a job and being locked down like that. Um, and that's something that, we, we are programmed to think like that and feel like that. I also really like Fern. I think her character is very complicated. And and I like that. You know, it's, it is hard. I remarked to Mariah saying when we we're watching it, where I was like, it's hard to determine when she wants to be alone and when she wants to be with people. It seems like, you know, she'll be with people and then walk away. But yet she seems to also really enjoy people's company. And I think the point is just that, that she has that sort of nomad spirit. She wants to be able to come and go. She wants to be able to um, not be locked down, not be held stable, and kind of just cross paths with people, tangle souls, and then move on. And uh, I think it's very pretty. And I think it is overall hopeful, although it is sad and it's very, you know, it's got its moments. I think the end, she uh, is better off than she was when it started. Good movie. Nice. Miles? So it could, it could be a lot of projection from my part because in a way... I feel like I have experienced some things that she has. Mm. You know, I live by myself in an apartment and for a while was like really struggling with cash. So all those times where she's just like trying to beg people for money or when she's celebrating New Year's by herself, mm-hmm. I I felt that and I remember how much I hated it. And so, you know, she might enjoy celebrating New Year's by herself in her van eating noodles, but... When I watched that, I was like, "That it's the worst possible outcome. There, like, there is no lower than that. So when Linda May is talking about, like, you know, there was nothing, like, the government yeah. did nothing Fucked for me. me. <laughs> and when she's talking about, like, how she would have killed herself, you know, I'm not going to kill myself. <laughs> but I think if, you know, I didn't have the amazing support and friends and family that I had, shout out Stephanie and Mariah. I can see a reality where things just got worse for me to where I would be in that exact same position. Yes. So 
everyone felt like just the worst outcome that could happen in my life. And that's kind of why I'm like, there's no upside to this. Mm-hmm. Is it's just sad the entire way through. Yeah. I I do understand some people want to live in their vans. Mm-hmm. And that just brings me to the next point. Fuck America and vilifying these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let them sleep wherever they want. It's a goddamn van. Who cares if they're parked in a parking lot? Right. And well, I think I think like I was saying, I think that's the point of this movie is is rewriting that perception yeah and you know the fact that we see that and we go wow this is the worst possible thing i think the point is to not think of it like that you know it's to to see that they do find a joy and a life in that and Mm -hmm. for us when we look at it we go wow how awful when Mm -hmm. that's not how we should see it and that's not how we should perpetuate it well also another thing too is that obviously at in this movie fern is at kind of the beginning of the journey of living with this Mm -hmm. lifestyle yeah and so that's why she struggles so much is because she's adjusting to it. Yeah. Um, where you see Bob Wells and Linda May and Swanky who have been doing this lifestyle for a very long time and have really found a rhythm and really found comfort. And it's only after she really kind of connects with these people to kind of hear their insights where at the end of the movie, she can get rid of the rest of the positions in Empire. And that's why I think it does end on a better note because she's on that journey to get to where they are, mm-hmm. where we have spent the majority of the movie in just a darker place with her on the road. Yeah. yeah. You'll meet each other up along the road. Mm-hmm. But even in like the fact that they have to work is also highly depressing to me. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a, that's a sad symptom of, you know, the modern age that we just, we have to work. And I don't want to, I don't like, listen, I'm, you know, 23. I understand. I have to work. Linda May should not have to but work. Yeah, we will have to work for the you know yeah. the rest of our like as long as long as we're capable of you know pressing a trigger on an Amazon scan gun, we aren't safe. That and like a whole town destroyed by the yeah. the faulty infrastructure of capitalism. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone in the town displaced and and told to fuck off essentially because yep. What, the company went down? Like, that's so terrible. And another thing, too, again, talked a lot about in the book. And there's that one scene when Fern is at, like, the employment office. And they're like, when can you work? And she's like, as soon yeah. as possible. Yeah. Another thing, too, is that with older people, they are they don't get hired as much. Once you get to a certain age, you are far less likely to get hired despite your years of experience. Somebody would rather take on a younger person, which is just a bummer because I'm like, if, if older people are applying for jobs, Giving them the job, dude. Yeah, they clearly yeah. need it, and that's and yeah, mm. America sucks. America does suck. God, and then I know it's like it shines Amazon in a good light because it's, Amazon's like, oh, we're giving you jobs, but fuck you, Jeff Bezos. Holy shit, pay people more. Don't make them shit and piss in bottles. You're a bastard. Yeah, I want to go through some of my thoughts. Obviously. I knew that they took on a very documentary-like approach. In doing this research, I will say, this is how I want to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sick. I mean, this is how I want to do it. I have, I mean, I'm not going to like, you know, go super in depth. I have an idea for a feature that I would like to do. This is how I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I feel like this is a very realistic way to do it. And, you know, budget-wise, a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think just reading this, this is one of the few movies that I've like really looked into it that have made me, it's made me so much more excited 
to pursue filmmaking and gets me really amped up for my future and the future projects that I can do. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I think is just really cool about it is it like it excites me to see this kind of process, to see this kind of output. See how like the movie's phenomenal. Mm. Yeah, it, it helps a lot that like not only is this movie great, but since it won so much, it's proof that this style works. You don't have to pour two hundred million dollars no. to make Eternals. Yeah, you can. You can <laughs> spend. I mean, even five million is obviously still like a lot for me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, you don't have to spend that much, and you can get phenomenal performances and amazing stories. Performances. And, yeah. yeah, what I what I think is is great about this is. I, I, you know, I think one of the biggest struggles of making a good film or art or whatever is making something that connects with somebody, you know, emotionally mm-hmm. making that connection. You're, you're fabricating and trying to make something that works. But when you do it this way and you're working with real people, you're immediately going to connect because they're real people, they're real mm-hmm. stories. I yes. mean, looking at they don't I mean, what, Mi- what Miles said, you know, it's like we will, as human beings, we're built to find those connections. Well, and I, when it's real people, it just happens. Bob Wells talking about his son. Yeah. Oh, dude, that was, I he, mean, knowing now that it's even more powerful. But while watching, I was like, he's crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing such an amazing job. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, okay, well, it's real and it's very I want to give you a hug. Sad. Yeah. I want to give you a hug, Santa man. I'm sorry. <laughs> But but it makes for this just really great deep human connections mm-hmm. that is harder to get. Yeah. Um. Another thing I just want to say is I think the main thing I want to talk about. Obviously, the cinematography is stunning. The mm-hmm. sound, great, just because of how minimal it is. Frances McDormand, fucking crushed it. Mm-hmm. She is so fucking good in this. And there are several points where just her the slightest facial expression the micro the way, expressions yeah really the micro good. expressions the way she just like like her eyes how expressive her eyes are mm-hmm. i mean there are specific moments i just want to i want to touch on at the very beginning like you mentioned you brought it up with like acting and stuff like that um when she's in the store and the mom and her two daughters come up and the mom's like we can give you a place to stay mm-hmm. and it's just focusing on fern and you can see like the strained look in her yeah. eyes because she doesn't want to be pitied. It's mm-hmm. very hard to sit there and go, thank you, but I'm okay. When you really want to say, fuck off, mm-hmm. don't patronize me. Yeah. Um, that kind of complex thought just yep. comes across so effortlessly for her. Again, the moment when she's celebrating New Year's alone and she's just sitting there and she's yeah. waving the little sparkler around and she's walking through the campground wishing people a happy New Year's. Like it just breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, I think I think subtle acting will very often be much more palpable than like over the top. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know? the last moment I want to touch on that I that really stuck out to me is when she's staying at Dave's place with his family and Dave and his son are playing the piano and she sneaks down and she's sitting on the stairs and she's watching them. And at first she's smiling because she's like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then at least how I interpret it, how I kind of read her, her expressions was like, she's intruding. That's not her family. She doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. She won't have that. And just kind of goes from, that's so lovely, to a sense of loneliness because she's never going to attain that. Yeah, that's, and that's how reala- I took it too. Yeah. yeah, and she realizes like, oh, I can't be here. I mean, there are lots and lots of moments. Those are just the ones that really stick out to me as I think back on it. Her personality and the way she she's very childlike. You know, she's mm-hmm. running through the rocks and when when they're at like the zoo or whatever in the alligator is like eating and she's like screaming and she's pushing yeah. Dave towards the glass. She's like, she's like, he's going to get you. And like that kind of stuff. I'm like, 
it's so fun. She doesn't have very good social skills. She leaves abruptly. She doesn't know how to talk mm-hmm. to people sometimes. And that whole thing just works so well because when you are isolated, it becomes harder to talk to people yeah. because you're used to not talking to people. And again, one of the things they talk about in the book is that with the rubber tramp rendezvous, these people are used to being by themselves. And so while they do enjoy reuniting with friends, I think it was like the third year Jessica Bruder covered the the event it got so big that some of the people just got like way too overwhelmed and just had to leave mm. because although they wanted to be there, it was just like mm-hmm. it was way too much. Mm-hmm. And you you have that one guy in the movie, if you guys remember, who talks about being like a vet yeah. um, who has PTSD and he can't be around loud noises. And like, so you have this sense of isolation that they need, but sometimes even with these things, it's like too much. Yeah. yeah. And so I think just that is also just very fascinating and mm-hmm. how sometimes they really need social interaction to shake things up and other times they just cannot handle it. Yeah. Okay, that was a lot from me. Do you guys have any any last thoughts on this movie before we rate it? I like the old piano man. Oh yeah, and he's got <laughs> yes, his- yes, yeah. He was phenomenal. I would I buy him. an album from him. He that that was like quintessential. My soul, my spirit was everything mm-hmm. that guy was doing. It was like a thirty second. Yeah, uh, I love him. I also just like. I don't know if it classifies this, but I almost consider this like a Western. I mean, at least Western in, yeah. I mean, they're in the West, they're in the desert, but they're also, you know, being nomadic is also just sort of a, a very Western sort of yeah. uh, spirit. And I like Westerns and then, you, you know, yeah, never mind. Well, yeah, I, mean, I like Westerns. I think like kind of like cowboys are also very like lonely. That's what I'm saying. Like they're the same sort of, you know, horse in the desert all by yourself yeah. kind of thing. Um, so it's like a weird modern... Cool no, I would I would consider this yeah. a modern Western for sure. Not to mention just beautiful scenery. Yes. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Although I will say Full Metal our episode on Full Metal Jacket was a downer. This one, this one's quite a bummer, but this one bummed me out. But I love it. I this is I think it's good. Uh, this is just Great. phenomenal I think it's a really filmmaking. Good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so with that, shall we get into ratings, boys? Mm-hmm. Let's rate it. Stefan. Uh I give it nine out of ten stinky poopy. Farts. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. It's great. Any reasoning? Any? I mean, that's pretty high. Oh, or, I've already discussed everything. Oh, the reasoning okay. for why? Yeah, why? I, just, why, I, I feel like, like I've already said it. I no, mean, I think just, it's beautiful approach to filmmaking, great cinematography. The performances are authentic and genuine. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've we've already said it all, man. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to repeat myself too much. No, okay. Nine out of ten. Miles, what about you? I give it, and you already said stinky poopy. I already said stinky poopy farts. I was going to say poop buckets. You can be like my protege. Oh, thank you. I'm going to say 8.5. What's the black flag? What is it called? Jack Crossbones? Yeah, but it has like a name, doesn't it? Maybe, probably. Whatever. Um, Skull and crossbone flags on the side of a van out of 10. This movie's, it's really good. The cinematography, the quote-unquote acting, the storytelling, all of it is super good. And I was going to say something else, but I think I have forgotten. Oh, because you have a war movie that you're like, this is a must-watch. I think everyone should watch watch this movie. Mm. I agree. I think if you are somebody who has grown up rather privileged in you know middle to high class 
and you've kind of like gone through the corporate or not the corporate, but like the American standard of kind of vilifying homeless and stuff like that. Watch this movie. They're all just people, man. They're just trying to live their life. You know, the next time you see someone living out of your van, out of their van, um, <laughs> okay, they're living yeah. out of my van. <laughs> yeah. If they're living out of your van, maybe <laughs> tell them not to do that. But watch this movie. Next time you see a homeless person, not a homeless, home houseless, houseless. Just be kind to people. Just be kind to people, and be like, okay, I don't need to think mean we, thoughts to these people anymore. We are people, not numbers, not cogs in the Amazon machine. We yeah. are human beings with feelings and pasts and children and and sometimes all we want to do is see a bunch of birds flying out of a mountain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i was thinking though when she was kayaking under the birds i'm like those birds want her gone those birds are pissed that she's there right now they're freaking out and swarming around like it's like oh so pretty i'm like they are having the worst time of their lives right now they want you gone oh <laughs> i was thinking like they could shit all over her there Probably. Are a lot of birds yeah um okay I'm I'm gonna give this movie nine giant dinosaurs mm. out of ten. Mm. That's how big okay. they actually yeah. were. So yeah. they go to a wall drug, which I am ninety percent certain I went to as a kid. Ooh. So Wait, okay, hold on. What is a wall drug? It's, I was so confused. It's it's kind that. of like a attraction thing. Okay. It's like and so they they have this T Rex thing inside, I believe, that I went as a kid, my grandfather brought me, and it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I, I like took off running in another direction. It is in Wall, South Dakota. Yeah, I believe my, my grandfather, when I was very young, took me on a road trip to South Dakota. But like, why why is it called a wall drug? I don't know. Because uh, they used to do that, though. They used to be like, I mean, drugstore. There's a drugstore. I guess. They're like, wall. I don't know. Wall is maybe a name. Yeah. Hold on. Let me do a little bit of Googling. Um, so, reason, yes. Like, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be right. Wall drugstore is a drugstore, gift shop, and eateries in Wall, South Dakota. They promised free ice water to all visitors, a simple yeah. thought that eventually turned into a million-dollar idea for the roadside attraction in Wall, South Dakota. Well, there you go, free oh. water. Anyway, so yes, I'm going to give this nine giant dinosaurs out of ten. Just be, I mean, basically, again, everything that I've said, there are very few movies that inspire me quite like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, to really, it gives me really something to strive for as a filmmaker, yeah. the kind of filmmaker that I would like to be. And for that, and for the reason, and just everything that went into it, I just appreciate it every aspect of this mm-hmm. movie so i'm gonna i'm gonna be giving it a nine nice yeah what do you give the book that's a good question i think i'm gonna give the book a seven out of ten Ooh, um, the book. just just because like i said some of it's kind of repetitive mm. and there were times when it just introduced so many characters but it would talk about a character for like two paragraphs and then you would never hear about them again whereas with this one you kind of had more of a core crew that you kind of came back to mm-hmm. but um, right. the book i would definitely recommend reading as well so anyway that concludes uh this episode for today uh welcome to 2023 hope you had fun with this bummer of an episode to start the year off right yeah Um, we have our next couple of episodes lined up i believe we do miles what yeah what's the next episode gonna be the next episode is going to be on a wonderful movie that i enjoy a lot (laughs) everything everywhere all at once a new one a new one. Yeah, we've got this two back to back that are pretty recent. Yeah. Did did everything everyone come out this, this year or last year? year? Yeah, this, this year. Well, last, last year, twenty twenty two. Because we're not recording this oh. um um before the year. Yeah, we're definitely recording this. We got in places to go. We're going different places. Yeah. We can't everything everywhere all at once. Wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. 
features short round. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we're, I mean, we're going to be able to talk about it kind of right before Oscar season and stuff, which obviously this is a front runner in a couple of categories. So mm-hmm. yeah. that'll be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mariah. Hey, Miles. What's your van called? That is a really good question. Because um, I'd want to do probably something that's a pun. Uh-huh. But obviously right now off the cuff, I can't think of right. one. The but- grinder. <laughs> the grinder. I'm the grinder. I liked the one in the movie where the lady goes, I call it pink because it takes me where I ain't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like <laughs> I would name it after a car from the Cars movie. Oh, you would. Maybe. Like big red, even though it's going to be like blue or something uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh, you know, just something uh-huh. stupid. Uh-huh. So that's going to be my answer. Miles, Miles what do you think? Uh... I think I'm gonna go with I'm gonna call mine. Wait, I'd call it Morrison, Van Morrison. Okay, Morrison. there we go. Wow, figured Good it job. out. I'm gonna call mine Bastion. Is it's just the Bastion? Okay, all right. <laughs> it's a game that I really like. Okay, and there's a there's an old man in the game. He has a very sultry voice, and I want to be that old man <laughs> driving around. Nice. All right, Stefan. I already said the grinder. The grinder. (laughs) Grinder. We've got the grinder. The machine. The grinder, Morrison, and Bastion. So keep an eye out for those vehicles on the road, folks. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. That's all. That's all for today, folks. Mm -hmm. Um, In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. um, Per huge, we are on Twitter and on Instagram at the takes it took. If you want to shoot us an email, give me any corrections, any thoughts. If you want us to cover a specific movie, you can do that as well. And that's just going to be at the takes it took at gmail.com until our next episode. Have fun. Be safe. Watch movies. And uh, we'll see you next time. And we'll see you down the road. Miles. And we'll see you down. I like that. Yes. Yeah. See you down, see the, you road. down the road. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.